Hi, everybody. This is Ron Pabuda with the OG Middleman podcast. Today is December 14th, and waking up this morning, it was a very kind of important day for me. It was or is the anniversary of the day that I asked my wife to marry me. I've never been married before. I've never asked anybody to marry me until my wife. I don't know if I ever knew what being love was. I thought I did. And maybe in some ways I was in love, uh, but nothing to the extent of this where all the boxes were checked and the way it made me feel when I looked at her. And uh, so I was inspired to ask her to marry me and she said yes we did it in Africa wasn't the most romantic uh, proposal that I imagined I had a lot of ideas but unfortunately because I'm such a sap I fell apart as I was sitting there in our little bungalow waiting to go to dinner where I wanted to kind of set up a nice romantic evening and do it at candlelight but as the more I thought about it the more emotional I got and I started to cry and, you know, she said, what's wrong? And, and I just said, I could take it. I can't take it anymore. It's, it's the, the emotion was too much for me. And that's typical of me. I get very emotional around people that I love when I see them or I, something's going to happen that I know is going to make me emotional. Um, my son's graduation from in the military and some other things. Um, I'm, uh, I cry a lot. I cry a lot. So that was today and waking up and looking forward to spending the day with my wife was, uh, you know, something that I was looking forward to. So I was in a good mood and I'm at work and um, I'm kind of grinding it out through work today. And then I get a uh, message on my cell phone, kind of alert or whatever you want to call it breaking news if, if that's what it is but a c celebrity uh, we all know who he was because we all watched the Ellen show uh, his name was uh, DJ Stephen Twitch boss and it says he took his own life today he killed himself um, apparently he left his home without his car and his wife said that's not like him and later on there was an emergency call from an LA hotel and they found him there with a self-inflicted gunshot wound and I don't know him Obviously, we've all seen him because we've all watched Ellen at one time or another. And he was very involved in the show. And then I looked at his resume and I saw all of the other things that he did. Very accomplished uh, artist along many disciplines, dancing, DJing, uh, hosting television shows. He had a nice little career going. And you can only imagine he did very well uh, with Ellen. He left behind a wife and three children. So, 
you know, you think right away, how could a man with all of this to live for, a very bright future still ahead of him, three children, a wife, what was going on inside of his mind that he decided to get a gun, leave his home, walk to a hotel, and kill himself? What, what suffering was he going through? And this is certainly, you know, a part of the mental health crisis that is going on right now in America that people don't talk about because there is a mental health crisis that exists out there. We experience it all the time with these mass shootings. There can be no other explanation for people who kill another person. People, if you're on the on, you know, the side of God, you're going to say the devil and evil is what caused these people to do these things. I don't know for a fact whether or not there's a God or not a God, and if there's a God, if there's a devil, if there's evil and good, all that stuff. I always just come back to the science of it, and I just think that there's a breaking point with people where they lose attachment to their sensibilities and do things that they normally wouldn't do. And it could just be a very short snap of time. It could just could be a few minutes where this idea overtakes them and to them that's the answer and maybe that's what happened with this this guy today Ellen's DJ maybe something overtook him suddenly and he felt he couldn't go on any longer we don't know what happened or what's going on in his life. It's impossible. I'm sure, as is always the way, news agencies and reporters are going to dig in and find out what was going on in his life. There's going to be all kinds of questions being asked of the family and friends. Was there a note? Did the, did the wife do something that caused this? Was he struggling with something else inside that we don't know about? It's gonna. It's probably gonna come out. Sometimes the answers are n are never clear to us why someone does something. As an example, Anthony Bourdain, which that one hit me hard because. I really liked that guy, as did many, many other people. Ellen DeGeneres made a statement and said he was all love and light and part of the family. And, you know, everyone's just saying how, I mean, imagine the amount of suffering that's going on right now in that family. How, how awful. Yesterday I was talking about Christmas and what a great time it is. Well, it's not always such a great time, is it? December 14th now in, in that man's family and friend's circle is always going to be a very sad time and confusing time to them to get through. 
And how do we how do we recognize when somebody's going through something? In in Anthony Bourdain's case, when they looked back later on, of course, hindsight being twenty twenty, they saw things maybe he was struggling with clearly wasn't happy there was an incident with his with his girlfriend that upset him it's documented in his book through a voicemail from his wife he left a voicemail from his ex-wife and and kind of she insinuated that he was struggling with that So people are walking around amongst us. They're walking around us right now in our lives somewhere. And this is with 100% certainty. There's someone in your life right now that is struggling with something that is so deep and causing them to be so desperate that they are probably considering taking their own life or hurting someone else. It's happening right now somewhere in your orbit. But how do we recognize it? There are signals, there are signs if you start talking about taking your life, if you say you can't you know, I don't think I could, I could handle things anymore. Those kind of things are warning signs. But more often than not, we choose to ignore them. We listen, we hear it, and then we move on with our lives, and we think, eh, that's nothing really to be taken seriously. But there are signs. Mental health professionals have always said that the minute someone even verbalizes that they are or are having suicidal ideations, you need to call somebody and, and let them know and get them to a doctor. A, doc, a professional needs to speak with them. How many people is this now that are in the apex of their lives, the top, seemingly have everything they could possibly want, celebrity, money, family, people who love them. They have everything, and then they take their own lives. It's, it's hard for me, so in, in the perspective of the joy that I was in this morning and thinking about my wedding I even went back to when we got engaged and I was looking at you know the photos of of that particular time period and looking back with great fondness of that time now I I experience this and it, it affects me because I know people are suffering. Families are suffering out there. This family is suffering out there right now. 
the children. The children are there in their home wondering what is going on. What happened? I mean, I, I mean, I'm I get chills thinking about it. What they're experiencing right now, and it's hard for me to go on with my day in a positive light. Life dictates that I must move forward, as we all are as I sit out through my studio window here and I see life going by and this little commercial uh, slash industrial park that I have my studio in and I watch everybody driving their cars and walking on sidewalks and going about their lives. They may or may not know that this just happened today, but even if they did, we are still going about our lives. Years ago, when I worked for a company, when I was an employee, I'm not an employee now, but when I was an employee and I was a vice president of whatever, I, I remember we were preparing and it, it's kind of ironic because it, it was right around this time and we were, and I was responsible for it, we were preparing for our Christmas party. And for this, this particular day, we had decided that we were going to do a Christmas lunch. It was the beginning of the end, actually, back then for that company when we went from this wonderful Christmas dinner and families getting dressed up and, and a very nice celebration. It changed over into a Christmas lunch. That's when I knew this company wasn't long for me. But we were preparing for this Christmas lunch local to where I live. Company, I don't know, we had 12, 14 employees at that time, plus their significant others. So we were readying to go to this luncheon. And then alert came, an alert came across the internet about Sandy Hook. And the heinous crime that we were witnessing of all those children. And I was very affected by it. And I sat there in my office for some time trying to make sense, being extremely empathetic to the family and what they were going through. And I brought it up to the office saying, this is what just happened, oh my God, how horrible, how awful. And half an hour later, the owner of the company came out and said, okay, let's all leave and go to lunch. And we went to lunch and we had this big table and we sat outside and I was sitting quietly and I was watching everybody I was watching everybody go about their own, you know, lives and s celebrations, talking about Christmas, talking about work, the past year, current work, music playing in the background. I looked around the restaurant, lots of people eating, dining. And 
what struck me was how unaffected everybody was after finding out what just happened in Connecticut. I wanted to stand up and say, we can't do this. This is not, you know, I wanted to say this is not who we are as Americans, but that's not the way I think. I wanted to think this is not how we are as humans. We should take the rest of the day off. Go watch the news if you if that's something that's important. But we should we should go and we should mourn with the people of Connecticut, the families of everybody affected by what happened at Sandy Hook. We should mourn with them. And sometimes we do mourn. Sometimes we mourn. The children and the families in Sandy Hook aren't famous, but when Michael Jackson died suddenly, <coughs> people mourned. People emptied into the streets and gathered together and played his music and cried and, and they mourned because he was a celebrity. We've seen this happen many times with celebrities. People mourn with Prince when he died. Others. But the common folk, common people, just the everyday humans that help keep the world going forward, they all have to suffer quietly with themselves or just with around their loved ones. There's no collective mourning that is noticeable where we pause and say, oh my God, I can't, we need to stop for today and we need to reflect and have a conversation about what's going on. I'm, I'm mourning for DJ Twitch and Ellen and the family. I'm mourning right now which is why I came on today, because I kind of just posted, I recorded a podcast yesterday, but I didn't get to post it until this morning, so technically that's today's podcast, but not really. That was yesterday's. This is today's. And I don't, I don't do a lot of planning. My planning exists of taking my dog Leo for a walk in the morning for about an hour and in that hour I come up with some ideas and narratives and topics that I want to talk about and I had some today I had some topics that I wanted to talk about today I wanted to talk about dogs I wanted to talk about exercise and I had planned to do all that and maybe I still will I don't know but right now I'm in a reflective mode. I'm in a reflective mode and I'm, I'm thinking through my mind's database. Is there anybody out there that I know that is suffering that can use a word of encouragement that can just simply say, hey, how are you doing? I'm here if you need me. When, when you do find someone, when you do sense that there is someone 
that might need you, I want to offer a suggestion. And this kind of covers crises in general. If you know of someone that is going through a crisis or potential crises, you sense something, I want to suggest that you not just text them and say, hey, I sent something, are you okay? And I would even say, don't even call and offer those sentiments. I suggest, and I've been saying this forever, that when somebody is going through something, you get up and you go to them wherever they are. You physically take an action and go show up at their door, at their work, at lunch, somewhere. When someone that I know is going through something really, really bad, for example, I can think of a couple instances where there was sudden news about a passing of a family member or sudden news of a diagnosis. To me, there wasn't any question that I'm going to go there right now. I'm going to go to that person's house and be physically there for them to show them that I am there for them. That's just me. But I think that's the way we all should be. The very action of taking your physical self and bringing it in front of another person where you can look them in the eye where you can touch them and feel them and they can touch and feel you is extremely important in providing comfort to them and letting them know that you're there. That's something that we need to always keep in mind. It's too easy to text. Hey, I heard about something. I hope you're all right. Let me know if I can help. That's not, that's not sincere. Maybe it's sincere, but it's not really genuinely trying to help that individual. You have to go there to that person, not just check in via text. It's too impersonal. You have to be more intimate. You have to bring yourself into the intimacy of that person's lives, and that's very difficult. It's difficult because it makes you feel uncomfortable, and it's difficult because you're not sure if they're really inviting it. Let me help you out here. They want it. If you call or text and say, no, they're going to say I'm okay because that's just how we are. No, I'm all right. Don't worry about it. Thank you for checking in. They're not okay. They're not okay. You have to go there. You have to go there. This is something that I live by now. I'm going to share some more with you about how this came to be, how I created this, what I'll call habit or a personal ritual that I, that I do uh, through a kind of pseudo slash sub career that I started. Um, Give me a few minutes and I'll be right back. This is Rampa Buddha with the OG Middleman Podcast. (laughs) 
normally I would play music or do a restaurant review or TV show or movie review. I'm not going to do that today. Doesn't feel appropriate for me to do that. Um, but I will say that if there is anybody listening that is struggling with something, there are places to call. Nine eight eight is always a great number should you be struggling with something or if you just want to kind of chat and a little bit more uh, through the internet uh, 988lifeline.org is a great place if you're struggling with something uh, reach out to any number of institutions that can help you I think that is um, extremely important during this time of the year because although yesterday I talked about Christmas how it makes me happy on the other side it makes people very very sad very lonely very lonely during the holidays so as, as I mentioned earlier that I get my when there's a, a person in crisis I get myself up and I go to that individual wherever they are and I, I stand there in solidarity with them in support of them to let them know that I'm there for them I will always do this for the rest of my life there was a period of, of my life when I have to say, in all honesty, that I was really struggling. I had hit a low, a real, real, real low in my life. I had attained some level of success in New York. I was self-employed, had, had people working for me, had a nice business, and great social life, tremendous social life. It was really enjoying my life. And something happened and it appended that, unexpectedly appended all that. And a downward spiral for me began that I had a very difficult time recovering from, struggled with it. So my thought was, let me move away from this area that is affecting me negatively my family was not supporting me, and they could never support me, let alone understand me. I needed to search for a fresh start. So I literally moved as far away from New York as I possibly could, and I landed in Los Angeles. And I needed a fresh start, so I took whatever money I had, packed up a U-Haul truck, my Jeep, and I drove across country to set up a new life. Go west, young man. There's gold in them now hills. I thought California would afford me the opportunity to get a fresh start. I had visited here recently. I loved the weather. It seemed so clean. I thought it was a great place. I knew I wanted to be near a big city because I was always a city guy, but maybe not necessarily live in the city. So I landed in LA, I landed in Studio City and tried to start a new life and lo and behold, it was not easy. 
I did not have a support system. I was raising a son on my own and things continued to progress downward. I could not get myself to recover. I couldn't, I couldn't rediscover the passion and the confidence that drove me earlier in my life. What I wish I had done was talk to somebody. If I had talked to somebody, if I had found some kind of local mentor or confidant, someone that could provide me some guidance and support, I probably would have spun out of that. Like the song says, I was spinning so long, so now I guess I'm spun. So, circled the wagons again. I moved out to the area that I live in now and hunkered down and tried to reinvent myself. And the only way that I've ever dug out of anything is by when I was in a when I needed to dig a hole, just give me a shovel and I'll start digging. I was never afraid of hard work. It's actually pretty much what I've always leaned on is that no matter what struggles I might come across, I could always count on myself to get myself out of it through hard work. So through working my daily job and trying to rebuild my life, I met someone. I met someone who did a very interesting occupation that happened to coincide along with the television show that I was watching a lot of. And that television show was Six Feet Under. Everybody has watched it. If you haven't, basically it's just a family that owns a private mortician uh, mortuary that is trying to get bought out by a large conglomerate. And it, it addresses the family dynamic, the patriarch and matriarch of the family, the son, the brother, the sister, and all of the drama that they would go through. But it was inter, intertwined with the lives and the family members of people who had just died and were going through the process of mourning in that particular mortuary. So I met someone during that time who worked as a mortician. Now a mortician is a general term for somebody who works in a mortuary. It does not mean that you uh, embalm decedents or people who have passed. That's an embalmer, that's a, that's a mortician also. But a mortician is a general term for anybody who works in the industry. So this person was a mortician and basically what his job was was something called first call and when that person dies when a person dies this individual the first call person was responsible for going to pick up the decedent and i was fascinated by that i was asking a lot of questions and he said to me you seem really interested in this it's not for everybody but would you want to do it because we're always looking for people I didn't even hesitate. I said, yes. I didn't ask about how much you got paid. I just said, yeah, I'm interested in it. Absolutely. 
so here began a career choice that would change me forever. I, it was not a career. It was just another job that I was doing in support of myself and my son to keep things going forward. So in a human being's life, there are two extremely, extremely intimate periods or, or parts of a human being's life that to me are the most intimate. The birth of someone into a family is very intimate. If you're fortunate enough to be there, the day of a human being brought, being brought into the dynamic of someone's family and ostensibly your family too because you're friends with them, now you're gonna know this child to be adult forever should everything work out in your personal relationships. The other time is when someone passes. So if you're there within a family context or dynamic when a loved one passes. So the first call person, and now the job that I'm going to be doing part-time, my job was to show up and be thrust into the lives of these people who just lost a loved one. We've all, well, I don't, it depends on your age, but we've all lost someone. We've all experienced the passing of a loved one, and we know that feeling. So think about that for a second. Someone that you adore and love, have spent part of your life with, shared intimacy with, that person passes. And think of the loss that you're experiencing, the vacancy of love that exists now because of the loss of that individual. Now, imagine another human being having to experience that on a regular basis. Now doctors have to deal with this for sure all the time. But now here I am, Ron Nobody. I didn't have a toolbox to deal with these kind of things because honestly I didn't have a lot of loss in my life up until that point. But here I am knocking on someone's door and saying, hi, I'm with so-and-so mortuary. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm here to help any way that I can. This process repeated itself many, many, many times over what was about two years. In the beginning, when I was doing this, it was very difficult for me because as I mentioned earlier, I'm very emotional. I cry a lot because I'm, I guess I'm very empathetic. And 
when I was put into these situations multiple times a night and I was witness to the grieving process that these people were going through, it took root inside of me and I couldn't help but start to shed tears. Sometimes it was situations where it was expected, meaning I had to go to a hospital or a nursing home where clearly it was someone who was well into their lives and into the aging process and they were in their 80s or 90s and their body just expired. And the family knew that it was inevitable that it was coming because of the physical struggle that that person was going through. So it was expected. It was a slow process. And in a lot of ways, I'm sure the family members were hoping that it would be a painless passing for that individual. So when it's that kind of thing, it's expected. You are dealing with it for a long period of time. So when it happens, it's not as shocking. But I had to deal with cases that were a little more shocking. Young children dying of the flu suddenly, car accidents, heart attacks, things of that nature. A lot of heart attacks, a lot of people just having a normal night at home and they just have a heart attack and die. Or in some cases during the day, I remember there was one during the day, he was walking through a courtyard during lunch. He had just finished his lunch and he was walking through this park area in this company company's courtyard and he clutched his heart and he died of a heart attack there were people who I you know witnessed who were watching American Idol and in a recliner and just passed of a heart attack so over and over again I'm I'm pushed into these intimate periods of people's lives. And as I said in the beginning, it was difficult, but over time, I started to become a little more um, tougher about it. Maybe that's not the word. And I don't want to say desensitized because I wasn't. I was very sensitive. Uh, but I started to study more about death and dying from an author I was recommended to, Elizabeth Kubler Roth, Elizabeth Kubler Ross, and she has a book on death and dying, and she talks about that and, and the stages of grief that we go through and denial and so forth. And as time went on, I became a little more comfortable with it, and as time went on even further. I like the idea of being that person in that family's life that was going to be, for that moment, someone's rock. 
sometimes I had to sit there for long periods of time because the grieving process has no shelf life. You don't know how long it's going to last. And in sudden cases where we had to show up, we had to allow them times or allow them time to grieve. And I would have to wait there. And if it was extremely emotional, which often it was, I would respectfully excuse myself from the home and say, I'm going to wait outside. I'm going to check in with you in a little while. So I would go outside and I would wait in the car for half an hour. Then I would come in and check in and see how things are, are coming along. Often, if someone died suddenly, the phone calls would go out to the other family members, maybe the children, <coughs> the, the adult children of a particular male that just died suddenly in their home, in their family home. And they would call and say, Dad just died. Come right away. Where is he? We're still here in the house. And they would say, okay, wait there. Please don't take him away. And we would watch, or I would watch the family members come in one by one and see their <coughs> their loving father lying there in bed. And I would hear screams of agony come from them. So through this process, I learned to appreciate a lot of things. To say that I learned to appreciate life is a given. But I learned to appreciate the process of life as it leads to end of life. And I came to understand that end of life is just a part of life. There is no avoiding that. And how we manage that is something that we probably should talk about more often. Now, it's almost like an expectation that someone that I know close to me is going to pass away. And I'm going to have to go be there for that person. And through my quote-unquote training, <clears throat> I'm going to be able to handle that situation more. But we're never completely prepared for it. We're never ready for it. I wish that I could be there for Ellen and the DJ Twitch's family. I wish that I could be that rock for them. <clears throat> I truly do. I know the support that I can bring and comfort I can bring to somebody, never completely, but I know that I can do that. But I guess my point is I had practice in this. So I'm a little more versed on how to deal with it. So my words to you, to my whoever my listeners are, both of them, <laughs> um, my words are prepare yourself. Be ready for this. And it doesn't have to be the passing of someone. It could be something else that's really, really a heavy burden. 
they will appreciate you showing up and help them carry that bur burden right there. They would. I know this because I was there and dealing with it much more than anybody else ever had. I was involved and I think <clears throat> I'm going to estimate probably around in the year and a half to two years, I don't know exactly how long I did it, but I was there. I think I handled over 400 cases of individuals passing, human beings. And I was exposed to so many different situations and experiences, which I will not talk about now. I'll talk about another time because it's kind of interesting. The way people grieve is interesting. We need to love one another all the time. We need to be a, pay attention to the loved ones that are around us and maybe somebody that you don't necessarily love but care for. <coughs> it is the holiday season and people are suffering. If we have an opportunity to recognize it, if we can see something in an individual that shows us that they are going through something, and if you have the ability to help them replace the suffering with joy, the state of suffering replaced by the state of joy, if you can do that, by all means, go. Don't text, don't call, just go and show up on their door and hug them and let them know that you're there. I'm terribly sad for what happened with this DJ and, and Ellen's family and his family and his children. but it's happening closer to us as well. And let's be aware of it. Let's be aware of the mental health of everybody around us. <clears throat> let's do some check-ins. Let's let people know that we're there for them. You know, they could say, no, I'm good, I'm all right. And that's their prerogative and they can hide behind their sadness, if they're if they're ha if they have sadness, let's they can hide behind it, and that's their choice. But for us, we need to make an effort to be more present for people who are going through some kind of mental or health crisis. Be there for them. Be there for. Be there for them, not just for them, but for yourself too. Because what you don't want to happen is to say, oh my God, I thought something was wrong. Maybe I should have done something. I'm Ram Pabuda. This is the OG Middlecast. Thank you for listening. Please share and to please reach out if you are suffering with anything that you think you need help with. There's help for you out there. Take care. Love and respect. Bye-bye.